This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. Today we look at the armor of God in Christ. And before we get to that, I just want to invite you to be part of our uh, Monday evening um, study and uh, just sharing time. So that's Monday evening on Zoom, just uh, eight o'clock um, Mountain Standard Time or Mountain Daylight Time. And uh, the number is 403-506-9201. Come and join us as we share together, as people ask questions, and we study the Bible together. A very informal group, but uh, just great at building community there and having a good time. And also the outline for today's um, study will be on the website, rediscoveringgod.ca. And it will be number 58. There'll be a PDF document there that you can download and follow along as we study these verses in Ephesians chapter 6. So Ian, lead us into the armor of God in Christ in Ephesians. So, you know, in thinking back over uh, my life, what I knew about this was mainly what kids would dress up in the armor in Sabbath school. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw pageants. Yes. Uh, with somebody dressed up like a Roman soldier and then lettering on the different parts. Um, I, I never really, never really caught my attention. You know, it was just sort of one of those passages in scripture, which was uh, very graphic. It wasn't very meaningful for me. Mm -hmm. um, but that's changed. So we're picking it up from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So on a surface level, we're, I think we all agree that God is omnipotent. He's very powerful. But what Paul is talking about is not this sort of God's bigger, stronger than everybody else. So he's um, kind of like your big brother. You know, one of the best things I ever heard about the brother that's two years younger than me was uh, one of his classmates were saying to me, you know, your brother, John, he always defended the boys who were being bullied. And if you were being bullied, you could go to John and he would protect you. Nice. I was very proud of him, you know, for having that kind of reputation. So um, we are strong when we remember who our immediate relatives are if they're on our side. we strong when we remember our roots uh, and are revived in our knowledge of God and his mighty power as creator and savior. And he can always inspire us in all places if we will remember who we are in Christ. So tell me, Warren, who are we in Christ? Well, we are his brother, we're a joint heir with him. 
we are princes, princesses, uh, seated on, uh, on, the, on the throne next to him. Yes. Um, we have royal blood. Yes. And we have the resources of heaven um, backing us up. Uh, but right at the heart of all this relationship is uh, the power of God's love, which uh, moves us, moves our hearts. You know, I, I never get tired of saying it's not log logic, but emotion that drives our most important decisions in life. Right. Like, I, I am not a Christian because uh, I was logic into it mm -hmm. i think at one stage in my life i was um i wanted to be an apologist for christ you know lay out all the facts uh, like you do when you prove a mathematics theorem and say eventually you come to the conclusion that's inescapable but that's not how human beings work you know we i'm not asking for us to be illogical or unreasonable, but just to recognize that when your heart is touched by something, that's far more influential than having your brain recognize that this, this proof is really foolproof. You know, as I think back to um, growing up on the farm, raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and I just believed that Adventism was basically a list of rules of things that you don't do and other things that you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I was, that's all I knew. Until I started spending time um, with the Gospels and Desire of Ages and prayer and getting to know Jesus. And as I began to fall in love with Jesus, my life began to change. I couldn't describe uh, how that happened. It just happened. And I, like, as you were saying, I was moved, not by logic, not by argument, but just something was happening in my heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so significantly that I, I just had to share it with other people because I had no idea that there was something this powerful that could actually change my life from the inside out. And then you met a pretty girl. Eventually I did. And then uh, I understood more about the love aspect. What do you mean eventually? Well, it was still a few years. Oh, you're fighting it all? No, actually, um, we were just in different spaces and I didn't get to know her till some years later. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can't see Warren's face. It's all lit up like a Christmas tree suddenly, just because I mentioned a pretty girl. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking of David and Goliath. So, um, David's reasoning was purely emotional. <laughs> like he says, you know, God helped me kill a bear and a lion, and he can help me take this dude down too. Um, I mean, his passionate heart yes. just believed that. You know, it wasn't logical that he could take this guy down. He doesn't have armor. He's just a kid. He has no experience in warfare. I mean, logically, he had no chance. But emotionally, and in his relationship with God, he had this 
self-confidence that gave him the victory. Right. Yeah. So read verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So let's just talk about the devil's schemes for a minute. What do we know about the devil's plan of action against human beings? Well, he, you know, I used to think that this would be referring to just the way that he trips me up and gets me to do the things that I know I shouldn't do. Um, but as we've been on this journey, I'm coming now to realize that it, it's fundamentally what I believe about myself, the, the negative tapes that I accept that erode my self-confidence, the things yeah. that I believe about other people and the things that I believe about God. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about the shame yes. quite a bit in podcasts and how this affects our view of ourselves and God and the people around us. And so shame is something that other people heap on you. And so he really exploits that um, avenue that he has for destroying. And he would destroy us all with shame, with guilt, with addictions, uh, with diets, or every which way that he possibly can, filling our minds uh, with the uh, beast thinking that's so prominent in the world, competition, violence. It seems that the that religion tends to use shame uh, to a large extent as well. It, it's it's like. For them, the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 3, where we are broken and we are wretched and, and, and all of that, rather than a Genesis 1 where God, we, we come from God's hand and, and it is good. We are good. We ended up in a broken state, but that's not where we originate. Mm -hmm. So um, just uh, a bit more about the devil's schemes. You know, in the book of Revelation, you have the trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But you also have the false trinity, which consists of the dragon, um, the beast, and the false prophet. Right. And um, so you have these three agencies, namely the dragon, which represents G uh, Satan, the devil, and the beast, which represents um, violent uh, kingdoms on the earth that come into existence through violence and maintain themselves through violence. And then you have the false prophet who eventually uh, masquerades as Jesus and, and tries to replicate his second coming to lead people astray. And you can read about that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation 13, the second half. Mm -hmm. But let, let, we've talked enough about the devil. Let's talk about the full armor of God so you can take your stand. So armor is for protection. Do you ever wear armor? I, uh, I haven't in some time, but there have been times that I wore hockey pads when I played uh, hockey. Uh -huh. Protect my shins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you ever played football? I didn't play football. Yeah. 
your brain's in reasonably good shape still. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I grew up in a country where we played rugby, mm. not football. They almost similar games, except in rugby, you don't wear any protection. You've got no armor. Oh, wow. No, it's a heavy contact sport. Mm -hmm. You put on armor when you realize you have a need for protection. Mm -hmm. I mean, when cops are going into a violent situation, they'll put on their um, bulletproof vests, whatever they call them. I'm not sure I have the right name there, uh, to protect their heart and lungs against mm -hmm. flying bullets. Um, so we're talking about a situation where God's people know they need help. They need protection. Uh, and this is serious stuff because the devil's been around for a long time. He's got a brilliant mind and he has the benefit of all this history and experience of leading people astray and destroying people. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's very clear from Hebrews 2.14, that the one who has the power of death is the devil. Yes. Yeah, every death can be attributed to the devil. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was no devil, there'd be no death on the planet, unless we invented sin ourselves. So you want to read verse 12? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul moves us right into the supernatural straight away. Uh, he's talking about the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So, um, you know what I find, Warren, is that I don't take the devil seriously enough. Right. I sort of see the problem being my own weakness, being led astray, uh, and so on. Um, but I don't really uh, realize my need of a supernatural presence in my life to counter the supernatural evil presence that's around me. What about you? I, I agree. I, I think... Life can go along pretty nicely without too many challenges at times, and we forget that we live on enemy territory. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and yet, I think when we realize that a lot of this is happening in our minds, that the, that's where the battle rages. When we realize it's what we think and believe about ourselves, what we think about others, and, 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 and what we think about God. And, and the enemy can get in there and get us off track, and uh, we don't even realize that we've been taken advantage of. And mm -hmm. so it seems that um, Paul in this book in Ephesians is reminding us that we are in a struggle. And it's not against the people that we see around us that might get in our way when we want to do something to advance or whatever that might be. But there's a, another struggle going on that we need to be more aware of. So, no, it was when Jesus came along uh, that uh, these uh, uh, 
powers of the dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms were revealed to us. The Old Testament knows very little uh, about these forces. They all attributed to God. So you'll have a passage like 1 Samuel 16, where an evil spirit from God possesses King Saul. Um, of course, you and I would never say that evil spirit was from God. We would say it's from the devil. Right. That, that possession that takes place. But it's only since Jesus that we really have this insight in what's actually happening. Um, like, uh, you know, the uh, chapter 12 of Revelation talks about one, the tail of the dragon uh, drew one third of the stars and cast them down. And if you decode that symbolic language, stars represent angels, they're cast down. From that, we conclude that a third of the beings in heaven joined the angel who became the devil. I mean, Warren, this is horrendous. Yeah, one in three, like that's huge, huge. I mean, like, I think you have four children. Yes. Imagine one of them turning against you and Cheryl. Yeah. And doing their best to destroy you. Unthinkable. I mean, it happens in families. Yes. But uh, you wouldn't expect that to happen to God and in heaven. And even, even, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic. And fortunately, it's not as taking the toll on life that, uh, we thought it might, but still, if of every three people that we knew, one of those three died, that would be horrendous. Yeah. And that's what this was. Uh, and you know, there's uh, just uh, bringing it to earth, there's quite a, uh, a variation in opinion as to what percentage of the earth will be saved when Jesus comes again and what percentage will be lost. So, um, but the only book that really uh, addresses that, uh, that I know uh, is Galatians, where it says the childless woman, talking about Sarah, has more children uh, than the fertile woman, sort of indicating that more will be saved than lost. But I have to admit that's just uh, an enlightened guess on my part, too. Right. So we've, we, what um, I think we've both agreed on is that we really need supernatural help from God, um, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to combat these forces of supernatural evil that are pervasive here on earth and even within our own existence. So um, let's get to verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So um, the day of evil uh, can either mean uh, when things go badly for yourself or at the end of the world, uh, when everything is in crisis. Right. Uh, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. What, what sort of picture comes up in your mind? 
with that sort of language? It, it seems to me to be describing not necessarily an advancement against an enemy, but just not to be pushed back. Yeah. Not to be dissuaded from what we know is true, but hold firm on what we know is true, where our confidence lies in Christ. Another, uh, the Roman soldiers, um, their smallest fighting unit was four men. And if they were attacked, they would stand back to back. Um, and they would stand. Okay. And they would make sure they weren't knocked down. Right. Because once they were knocked down, they were easy prey mm -hmm. for the enemy. So maybe Paul is drawing on this, but let me move it another place. You know, when Jesus comes to the end of his life, he's abandoned, he's betrayed, he's forsaken, and uh, all he can do is stand. You know, at that moment in his life, he has no evidence of any success in terms of followers and even in terms of his future life. You know, it seemed to him, this is the end of my eternal life. He, yeah. uh, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's without hope. Uh, and he just takes his stand and uh, he'll not go down. So, yeah, um, sometimes it's like that in life. Well, I can't talk for you, but for me. I, I don't know how it is, but you get to these dark places in your life where hope seems to disappear. And the only thing you can do is take a stand and not capitulate and say, well, I'm not sure how we got here. But uh, I'm not going down. The Lord will keep me upright. Yeah. You know, um, some of these pieces of armor that we're going to refer to are actually mentioned in Isaiah. Um, I'd like you to read a few verses in Isaiah, the first one being 11, verse 5. Isaiah 11 and verse 5 says, He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Okay, so we have righteousness, like a belt, and truth, like an undergarment. All right, the next one is Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the good news of the God of Israel reigns. Uh, now 59.17. 59.17. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. And then finally 61.10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and drape me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. So we've got lots of pictures here in Isaiah. Yes. Um, that Paul's going to use in his description of this armor that we need. I didn't realize that uh, he was pulling from Isaiah in, in this, uh, these pieces of armor. That's fascinating. 
Yeah. It's like, uh, it's not much new that's under the sun. Yes. And if it's new, it's probably not true. <laughs> <laughs> so we start now then in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So, Warren, all these pieces of armor are related to Jesus. And yeah. this is what I missed. And only discovered later in my life. That was, I was so fascinated when I realized it's just different ways of talking about Jesus. Yeah. That's so, so, so great. Yeah, that is fascinating. So, like John 14, verse 6. You want to read that? I am the way and the truth and the life. None comes to me, to, comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. So the first piece of armor is this belt of truth. Uh, so the belt is the basis of your armor that you're going to put on. You're going to hang your sword on it. You're going to tie other bits and pieces to it. Mm -hmm. If you look at a uh, Canadian police person, they have a belt and all sorts of accoutrements on the belt, you know, yeah. matchstick and uh, gun and radio and handcuffs. Even, even a, a weightlifter puts a belt on. Yeah. Just to give them that ability to, to, to push against that belt and, and, and have everything hold together, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's a belt of truth. This is the basis of your armor. Mm -hmm. So when you think of truth, I used to think of truth as a collection of verifiable or true facts. Um, nowadays, we try and find truth with Google. Um, it's not always the truth, but I mm -hmm. guess they do their best. But when Jesus is talking about truth in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not talking about a collection of facts. He's talking about what his father is really like. Mm -hmm. he, he says, I'm the way to the father, I'm the truth about the father, and I have the life of the father. And no one can come to the father except through me, because he's the only eyewitness we have of God. And, and it's this um, understanding of what God is like that forms the basis of your armor against the attack of the evil one. Well, because when you understand who God really is and realize that he has already, through Jesus, um, conquered the enemy and, yeah. and he gives that victory to us. So, so I am a conqueror. And that, that when you're going into war, to already know you're a conqueror is a, a great sense of uh, confidence. Yeah. I'd like you to read uh, John 1, verse 14 to 18, because this is where this revelation of the truth about God really starts. Um, John 1, 14 to 18. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? It is. The law came through Moses, but uh, how does he describe it? God's unfailing love and faithfulness came yes. through Jesus Christ. Unfailing love and faithfulness. I think other translations say grace and truth. True, yes, they do. Came through Jesus. In his love, God makes everything good for us. And uh, we manage to make everything bad through our selfishness and sinfulness. Right. And uh, it's that insight that when God looks at Warren Kay or Ian Hartley, he sees the best possible uh, opportunities for us and moves us in that direction by moving on our hearts. So it's this attitude of unfailing um, love and faithfulness, of grace and truth um, that motivates God and becomes our motivation if we accept the witness of Jesus. Yes. You know, would you read John 17, verse 3? Because uh, we, we need to get what's being said here. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth. So isn't that interesting that Jesus says, um, if you want to have eternal life, you, you need to understand the only true God. Yes. And Jesus Christ whom he sent. Now, the reason he says that is because there's so many uh, straw men presented as God. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the real God. It's a God that uh, human beings have invented uh, for their own pleasure. So I'll just give you one example. This idea of an ever-burning hell was invented by uh, Christians who believe what Plato taught, that you have an immortal soul. You cannot die. So what are you going to do with rebels against God? Yeah. If they can't be annihilated eventually, you have to keep them alive. And what are you going to do? Put them in solitary confinement? So, well, that's one option. Another option is to torture them for eternity. But they actually um, invented that picture of God to satisfy their own desire to have these rebels against God punished. And it gave them tremendous control over people by creating that fear. Yeah. So, um, this truth, Jesus had something to say about this in John 8, 32 and 36. If you'll read that. 
and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. So Jesus is talking about simple things like the anxieties of life, mm -hmm. the concern about our future after death or the second coming, uh, maybe a terminal illness, maybe a relationship with a loved one. And the, the truth about God is that God is on your side. He's got your back covered. He's going to do the very best that can possibly be done in the whole universe for you. If you let him do it. Yes. I mean, this is amazing, you know. And when I can come to actually believe that, what freedom there is in knowing that. And, so, and Yeah. This is what Jesus means when he says the truth will set you free. Yes. When you know the truth about God, this gives you great peace in your heart and freedom to face the future and the freedom to be kind to people around you because God is your father, your maker, your redeemer. He is the love of your life. Yeah. Beautiful. So we need to move on to the breastplate of righteousness. Yes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 is a very interesting verse. If I would really encourage people to memorize this verse. 1 Corinthians 1 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. How about that for a categorical, dogmatic statement? Yes. Jesus has become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So when he's saying that um, we have this breastplate of righteousness, he's saying that we have Jesus as our righteousness. Yes. So let me decode that a little bit further. Mm -hmm. uh, we could not live the life that God had planned for us to live uh, because an alien tripped up our ancestors and got his toe into our world and became the prince of this world. And we were infected with this virus. And so we could not live the life uh, that God planned for us. Only uh, there's one being, one human, who's lived that life, and that's Jesus Christ. He came and lived the life that each one of us was meant to live. Mm -hmm. And so what did he do? He fed the hungry, healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons. Wherever he went, he brought joy and happiness yeah. to the people around him. That is how you were meant to live your life. That is how I was meant to live my life. But because of sin and all the implications. I've not lived my life like that. So Jesus came and lived my life for me. Beautiful. And now he says, look, Ian Hartley was challenged, he was dysfunctional because of sin. This is how he would have lived his life if it hadn't been for the devil and Adam's choice. I give my history to him. Mm -hmm. Warren, if you Google Ian Hartley, when you get to heaven, this is what it says. He fed the hungry. 
healed the sick, and cast out demons. He raised the dead. Beautiful. Yeah. You see, that's what it means to have the breastplate of righteousness. This is your protection mm -hmm. against the shame and the guilt that the devil would put on you. Without that, we would lose heart and yes. we would give up the battle. Yes. But when we know that, it gives us courage to be able to keep pressing on and to stand firm, like he yes. says. Yeah. We're on verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we already noticed that so far all these aspects have their roots or their first revelation in Isaiah. So now in Romans 10 verse 15, uh, Paul quotes um, from Isaiah. And uh, read that for us, please. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So he's quoting now. We read that in Isaiah. Yes. So once you understand the good news, the desire to condemn and judge others disappears. And in their place wells up a desire to tell everyone we can of the love and the acceptance of the Lord for every person on the planet. This is the good news yes. uh, that uh, we want to share so badly with people. And whenever you have good news, it just compels us to share it. Yeah. You want to share it with anybody that will listen. Yeah. So you recently had a grandchild. Yes. Good yeah. news. We had to share it. Uh, name? Zoe. Zoe, Z-O-E. Z-O-E, yeah. Means life. Yes. And um, <clears throat> weight at birth. Oh, now don't push me for the details. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know it's a girl. <laughs> the girl born on February 2. I know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is really interesting. I used to come home and tell Irma, oh, so-and-so had her baby, and she'd want to know the weight and the length and blah, blah, blah. Or I'd go to a wedding, and she couldn't come, and she'd want to know, so what did the bride wear? I'd say, white dress, and she'd say, that's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the ironies of all ironies is to teach people to witness. You only have to teach people to witness who don't know the good news. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> because if you know good news, uh, it's automatic to want to. You know, if people hear of something really valuable that's on sale, they don't need a course to be able to go and tell their friends, hey, this <laughs> thing is on sale. Go and get some. <laughs> they just do it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really iron, ironic for me. We're on verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I, I love this uh, uh, picture. You know, you've got the shield of faith. And you've got all these arrows coming towards you. Mm -hmm. You use your shield to catch the arrows before they get to your body. Yeah. 
I love it. It reminds me of uh, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So what would those arrows be? You know, uh, advertising um, creates a lot of arrows that our hearts makes us dissatisfied with what we've got. Doubt. Doubt's a normal part of uh, your thinking, and doubt is good because it makes you question things, and uh, so you're not so gullible. You don't believe everything you you hear or see. Um, but doubt can take on a life of its own. I remember at one stage in my life, I was fascinated by John Calvin's theology. And I didn't want to believe it, but I just had to believe it. And nobody could dissuade me from it. Mm. And uh, I don't know how uh, I lost it, this belief that God only wanted to save some people, but I'm glad that I finally got over it and could believe that God wants to save all people. So what about you? What do you see the arrows as? Well, again, I think it goes back to the, the, the things that we're tempted to believe about ourselves. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I can never do it right. And, and those negative cycles that, that erode our self-confidence as if it depended on us. And, yeah. and, and those are, the, to me, those are the arrows that, that he hurls at us. Yeah. So um, in Acts 3.16, um, after healing the man at the gate, beautiful, um, Peter says, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, that's Jesus, that has given this complete healing to him as you all can see. So faith comes to us through Jesus. Yes. And uh, it's a gift from him. Uh, Hebrews 12 says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Mm -hmm. Now, if I think about an author, this is a miraculous thing. You know, J.K. Rowling, uh, writes the Harry Potter series of books. She makes these little black marks on white paper and sends it to the publisher. And out of her mind, her imagination, she creates millions of pounds. Mm -hmm. And she creates, she, an she creates a whole um, reality that people come become familiar with that didn't exist before. Like it's it's almost like as close to creating something as you can get uh, outside yeah. of being God. So that's what Jesus does in terms of faith in our hearts. He creates a whole new reality for us that wasn't yes. there before. Mm -hmm. So this faith in Jesus is the shield which protects us from the temptations of the evil one. It is not trying hard to overcome, which protects us. It is not in doing many good things. It is not in a great devotional life, but trusting or having faith in Jesus' righteousness. It's, it's the thought that came to my mind just now is like reading the final chapter in a novel and knowing how the story is going to end and then going back and reading it. And it's like, I don't have to get sucked into the emotion that the author is wanting to pull me into 
because I know how it's going to end. Mm. And, and that's what, what he is wanting for us here is to know that in the end, Jesus wins, love wins. And we don't have to get caught up with all the fear and the second guessing and the wondering if we're going to get it right um, because we know how it's going to end. And, and Jesus is the victor and uh, he has given that victory to us. So we are, the, we are victors even now while we're still in the battle. Do you read the last chapter first? I don't. So how do you know about it? Well, I just know that that's what would happen. <laughs> but I want to I want to go on the emotional roller coaster ride that the author intended me to go. <laughs> so I actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> I always read the last chapter first. Well, there you go. Am I right? Is that what is that what happens? Um, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but I, that's how I decide whether I want to read the book or not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I make a pretty harsh statement a few minutes ago. I said, it's not a great devotional, um, which is your shield of faith. Mm. Aren't you going to query that? Well, you know, some, for some people, they, it's like if they don't take that time, their day doesn't go as well. And I think it's more in their own mind to think, you know, I haven't done what I need to do. If I do what I need to do, then I know that I'm going to have a better day. Uh, but I'm not sure that uh, it's, it's like that. I mean, um, it's a relationship with, with someone. And when you have a relationship, if there's an emergency and let's say you, you, you're not able to take the time today, they don't write you off. You still have that relationship. And so, yeah, I think um, it, the, the devotional life is a way to grow the relationship, but it's not an end in itself. So this is John 5, 39. Mm. Jesus is speaking and he says um, to those listening, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You know, you can, you can have a very factual, in-depth knowledge of the Bible and miss Jesus. That's what happened to the Pharisees. Yes. I mean, they really knew their scriptures, but they didn't know the, the star of the scriptures, the heart of the scriptures, the Messiah of the scripture, which is what you were talking about, this relationship. Yeah. You know, it's not rocket science. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know, what does it mean that Jesus loves me? It means that Jesus carries me on his heart. Mm -hmm. That he's got my picture on his fridge. That he looks forward to us being together physically in the future and emotionally now. And that... Um, He's got my back covered. No, I'm really important to him. We're on verse 17. You want to read that? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, a helmet protects your head, the place where we think. Yes. So it hardly needs 
to be said, but we will say it again and again. Salvation has come to us through Jesus the Christ. This is what gives light to our understanding and protects our thinking. You see, wherever people believe that they are saved by their good behavior, what you were talking about is that we never actually feel good enough. Right. That's one of the hallmarks of being a sinner is that eventually you will lose hope because your efforts at being a moral being are inadequate even in your own eyes. Yes. And it's when your trust is in the uh, morality of Jesus, in the love of Jesus for yourself and other people, um, that he has accomplished our salvation uh, that our thinking is protected. Otherwise, we get into the spiral of um, help me to be ready when you come, Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have any assurance. You, you're always insecure about this. Thing. So when Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem, he's fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. You'll read that. Please. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So we remember this verse because Jesus rode on a donkey. <laughs> but the rest of the verse usually escapes us. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. I mean, this is the helmet of salvation that's going to protect your thinking. Yes. Acts 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name or character under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is in the character of God that our confidence of salvation lies. That is what God is like. He wants to save us. He has saved us. He will save us. Mm -hmm. Our salvation is safe in his hands. So uh, the sword of the spirit, uh, which says is uh, the word of God. So this is the first time we run into uh, an attack weapon. Yes, all the rest are defense to protect yourself. Yes. And this is something to, to attack. Of course, you also use to defend yourself, but uh, um, yes. it's sure. the first attack weapon. Uh, it's, it is to break down the strongholds of evil and the misunderstanding of God. Mm. Um, in Revelation 19.15, there's a picture of Jesus riding on a white horse and his robe is dipped in blood and the, his sword is in his mouth. And uh, this is contra to all pictures of a warrior going out to battle because the, the warrior's armor is beautiful, clean, and shiny. It's only after the battle that it's covered in blood. Yes. And a warrior has his sword in his hand, not in his mouth. Uh, Spanish men have uh, flowers in their mouth as they declare their affection for their current girlfriend. You know, it's, it's just a contrary picture here. And uh, 
um, Revelation 19.15 also says this, Out of Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So just I just want to focus on this uh, iron scepter. Um, Iron melts at about 1150 degrees centigrade. Brass, which was also used at that time for spears at 920. Bronze, which is a mixture of copper and I think it's tin at 655 and lead at 328. When the Iron Age came along, it gave the Romans superior weaponry. So when he says the iron scepter, is referring to the strongest metal um, that they used at that time, which was iron. And it is symbolic of the strongest force in the universe, which is God's love. Read this beautiful passage from Song of Solomon 8, verse 6 to 7, please. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its passion as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. It's a beautiful picture of the power of love. Yes, that's interesting. I, I had not made the connection that the iron scepter is just really talking about the, the strength of God's love. Yeah. Beautiful. So it talks about um, uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. We're talking about Jesus. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. Can you read John 1 verse 1? Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Well, that's verse 14. Yeah, read it. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, generally, when we think of the glory of God, we think of lights and noise and powerful actions and making worlds and stars and things like that. But if you look in uh, Exodus 33 and 34, where Moses says to God, show me your glory, it's rather that God is gentle, caring, passionate, nonviolent, and has unconditional love for his people. Right. So I wonder if you'd mind reading Exodus 33, 19. Exodus 33, 19 says, And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So Jesus will tell us that he chooses everybody, not only Jews, but Gentiles too. Yes. And the next chapter, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, 
Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I will lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I will forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So um, this unfailing love and faithfulness or grace and truth apparently is the glory of God. Yes. Uh, I mean, like John 3.16, uh, such a well-known passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life verse 17 god sent not his son into the world to judge or condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved now these are very powerful statements of what god is like yes another one is romans 5 verse 8 which says while we were yet sinners Christ died for us, like we hadn't repented, we weren't sorry for our sins, we hadn't confessed them, but he's dying for us. Yeah. We're back in John chapter 1. Read verse 17, please. John 1 verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Moses needed to lay down the law for the people because they were ready for anarchy. They didn't understand love. They came out of Egypt, Pharaoh, the despot, obey me and live as a slave, disobey me and die. Uh, that's all they understood. So they needed a strong law in place in order to shelter them from their own desire for anarchy. Mm. Jesus comes and he teaches about the kingdom of heaven where love, not law, is the basis for relationships. Yes. Um, this is the part of what Galatians 4 verse 4 uh, means when it says in the fullness of time, Jesus came. He had to wait until he could actually teach about um, this kingdom of heaven. So one of the best places to see the difference between law and love is in this picture of the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8. So legally, the woman's guilty. There's yes. no question about that. Um, so Jesus does not deal with the woman on the basis of law. The law is, if you're guilty of adultery, you must be stoned. Um, he doesn't contest that law. He simply takes them on, on a relational basis. Now, this is where Jesus wore his own armor. Um, he had this ability to think relationally as opposed to a legal system. And a transaction. Right. Um, so what does he do? He starts writing in the sand. And we guess from the reaction of the accusers 
that he wrote down some of the failings they had. Mm. And they leave one by one. And eventually, uh, Jesus is left with the woman. And he says to her, where are your accusers? She says, well, they kind of left. And then he says, um, didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Warren, when Jesus says to this woman, go and sin no more, he's not talking about sexual promiscuity. He's talking about stop thinking so poorly of yourself so that you get into this lifestyle again. Mm. You are my sister. You are my princess. We're in this together. You're precious to me. I know you by name. Yeah. See, that's, that's the armor he gives us. Yes. The armor is not a list of don'ts and do's. This whole thing about the armor of God is we're in relationship and I have great compassion for you. Mm -hmm. I want you to think like I think of you. That will be your defense, your natural defense against the arrows of the evil one. Beautiful. So we've pretty much covered the armor. Yeah. Let's pray together. Dear God, I'm happy to be in your presence with your man, Warren, your Prince Warren. And thank you for those who listen to this podcast. I know you know them each one by name and that they are precious to you mm. and that you will not rest until they are in heaven with you and how your heart breaks if they would refuse your invitation. Oh Lord, we pray for our own hearts that we might come to understand you as the only true God and Jesus Christ as the one you sent to save our souls from the Satan. Thank you so much for revealing yourself in your heart to us. It has forever changed the way we think about you, about ourselves, and about others. We are so happy to know you. There's none like you. We worship you. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. And if you'd like to share this with friends, we'd appreciate that. In fact, we have created a new website called rediscoveringgod.ca. You can refer your friends to that site and they can see all the podcasts that we have produced so far and the ones uh, in the future will be posted there. Uh, you can make comments, you can join us in a dialogue and a conversation so that we can discover what difference this is making for you or any questions that you have that we can endeavor to answer or perhaps address in a future podcast. So that's rediscoveringgod.ca. In addition to the website, we've also created a WhatsApp site called Rediscovering God. So if you're on WhatsApp or would like to join us, uh, just search for us there or send me an email at wkay.com. S is in Sam, I-X, 
at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to add you to our group and we can continue the dialogue there.